0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that wields the mighty power that music has to bind us to our memories as a means of getting to know our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Mike Braun. Mike is managing editor here at WGCU, working with our reporters to dig deeper and add context to stories affecting Southwest Florida. His first job in journalism was as general assignment reporter at the Morning Journal in Lisbon, Ohio. He then spent 25 years at the Youngstown Vindicator in Youngstown, Ohio, working as a reporter, copy editor, Sunday edition editor, designer, and chief of the Design Desk. In 1985, he convinced the editors that he could fill a page weekly with news about hunting, fishing, and conservation topics, and did just that as de facto outdoor editor for the next 20 years, in addition to his regular duties. Mike then moved to Southwest Florida and joined the news press in 2005 as front page designer, and then moved back to reporting in 2011, which he focused on until earlier this year when he joined us here at wgcu hey there mr b how are you i uh, couldn't be better today um, i hope you don't mind me calling you mr b i know we've established this in the hallway that your nickname is in fact brawny absolutely what does that date back to
0: Oh my God! Uh, well, I'll be 68 in two weeks, so probably about 67 years. Holy cow! So it was like a parent name, or yeah, like something. yeah, something like that. Yeah. I
2: was hoping it was like a like the towels, like a, the lumberjack. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm sure <laughs> yeah. at some point in his life that it's crossed his. I, I well, I've got the uh, credit on that because that brawny came after this brawny. That's oh, what oh so I yeah, it's named wondering. after you. That makes sense. <laughs> Uh,
1: So um, thank you for doing this. This is our first recording post-Ian. And so this is a nice little bit of levity we can have and maybe some serious stuff. But, um, you know, as you know, we've been stretched thin lately. So I'm glad we can have this moment together.
0: I've been there stretched right with you.
1: Oh, I know. Um, So uh, is that your orange Jeep? No, that's Eileen's. I have the black Jeep. Okay. When you were driving your black Jeep to the station this morning, what were you listening to?
0: Uh just some mindless uh, – actually, what I do listen to, and, and I, I hate to say this because I'm on WGCU, but I listen to classic vinyl on Sirius XM okay. on my drive.
1: Um, is that what you normally listen to in the car? In like, the car, yes. No matter where you're going? Pretty much. Do you ever listen to WGCU?
0: I listen – absolutely. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's what my uh, – it's what my uh, – Alexis is uh, – Geared to in my office and it's what I go to sleep to every night. Well, we should specify because I hear your radio in your
2: office all day, but do you listen to WGCU news? Uh, sporadically.
0: I listen to WGCU classical. Yeah. Classical, classical music, music out of office. to hear it waft out of your office yeah. <laughs> all day. Um, do you ever listen to terrestrial radio anymore? Like radio stations in the car? Very rarely. Actually, I, you know, I don't think my car radio has been tuned to terrestrial radio station in years. I, I guess it's a just Series XM is... or, or WGCU mm-hmm. and it just goes with the flow. So where'd you grow up? All over the place. Uh, pretty much mainly Peoria, Illinois. It okay. the first 11 years. And then for the next, oh, my God, uh, 40, 45 years, I was in some place in Ohio, Akron or Youngstown or Lisbon or Salem. Ohio guy. Ohio guy, yep. Um, you a Buckeye fan? I am now. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, it's kind of hard not to be when when the coach of your college – uh, is the guy who first wins the two national championships for your football team, ah. and then goes on to try and and be bigger, and then comes back and is the president of your university. Okay. So it, uh you know Jim Tressel, he was one of the ones who made uh, OSU pretty good for a couple of years. So that's what got me going.
1: I'm only inferring the things you're saying through context because I don't <laughs> follow any of that. So so Ohio State's had a good football team recently. Then yeah, I kind of. <laughs> 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 uh, um, so, in those first eleven years, how would you characterize the musical background or scene for you as a kid?
0: Wow, that was a pretty um, that was a pretty changing time for music. You know, the the fifties and early sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a lot of uh, you know the early rock, you know, Bill Haley and all those kinds, and then segueing into the Beatles and and you know that kind of rock. So it was a divining time in the rock history, and music history. So I got a lot of different things. Uh,
1: were your parents bringing you through that? Were you rebelling against them with
0: that? No, I wasn't really that much. I mean, I was a rebel in, in terms of po- politics. But against my parents, no, not not so much. They were from Austria. So I got a mm-hmm. lot of background in, in uh, that kind of music, you know, the, the, the waltzes and that kind of thing, which I really kind of liked when I was growing up. I used to play those records as well. But uh, I, I got a very eclectic musical background in, in education because of that. Hmm.
1: What's the earliest musical memory you can recall if we ask you to try to dig back? Just wow. something that might flash <clears throat> in
0: your mind. A memory? Uh, probably um, Oh, the Blue Daniel Waltz, hmm. uh, which I got to hear in person in Vienna at one point, which was kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I mean th- th- that kind of music is what my parents played. So I got to hear that. And that, that will tie into one of my first you know, uh, three-song story memories as well. Um, your parents are from
1: Austria. Were your grandparents here or were they there?
0: My grandparents were here. Uh, they, they all came over around the same time because of Hitler. They were, they were Jewish. Mm-hmm. So uh, my grandfather lived with us for a while after my grandmother died. So, yeah, they were, they were quite central in my life. Any
1: musical memories associated with
0: them at all? Not with them, no. That's it, kind of funny that you mentioned that. And uh, as far back as I can remember, were, the music was mostly my parents. Right.
1: Um, any instruments being played?
0: Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't carry a tune if you spotted me half of the song. So, so not, no, not your
1: parents? No, no, no musical instruments in the house? No. What no. about among your friends and stuff?
0: I had a friend who played the, the, the trumpet, the cornet, um, but I, you know, I never really – I mean I would like drums. I, I had an idea that maybe I could be – I could play the drums, which didn't pan out one you little bit. You don't have to play
1: the drums on, on tune or key. Right.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and there's lots of pots and pans <laughs> that you could try on and stuff, but uh, somehow that just never coalesced. Hmm. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I have – Two older sisters and an older half-sister.
1: So if you were growing up during those times, they were a little ahead of you during those times. Oh, were absolutely. Were they guiding you along when it came to the new music coming out?
0: No, they weren't really musical. Um, they are they're ten to twelve years older than I. I was an oh, okay. I was so, an so ups. they weren't a
1: couple years older. They were ten, ten to twelve yeah. years older. Got yeah, it.
0: so their musical tastes were, were quite a bit different, uh, and it didn't really mesh with me. I had my own deal. You were
1: kind of the rebel then, yes, in terms of that. Absolutely. So they were were they still listening to like your parents' music kind of stuff?
0: I'm trying to think of
1: that. that well, far they, ahead they were of
0: you. more into the fifties type music, you know, poodle skirts and that kind of stuff. Right. So and I was more, you know, early rock. Uh, more Beatles and and Stones and that kind of stuff which were
1: you a fan of first the Beatles or the Stones
0: that's a hard question Um, I mean I saw the Beatles and Ed Sullivan when they actually were on Ed Sullivan the first time so, yeah, they, they probably the Beatles more. Was that an anticipated moment?
1: Were you like a, a big enough of a Beatles fan that you were like, oh, my God, this band that I've heard of is going to be on this show that I watch?
0: Not really. It was kind of a surprise. I think it was huh. only – I think it was at 62 or 63. Maybe a little, 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 little later than that. But I think it was only like 9 or 10 years old. So – it was only something because everybody was talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Were your parents
1: – do you remember their response or reaction to it? Were I don't they think there? they were watching it to tell you oh, the wow. truth. I think mean, it was just, just, just me. The, your little 10-year-old <laughs> self sitting there watching that moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Huh. Uh, before we get to your first song, um, you say you don't play instruments. You say you don't sing. But if you could play an instrument magically, like really proficiently, what would you choose to play? Hmm.
0: I probably I'll, I'll give the safe answer. Probably a guitar. Yeah, that's, that's something that seems to be twofold purpose. You can make music and attract the other the, the other gender. So it would have been something that would have been a lot more helpful to me growing up. Have you ever considered getting an instrument in later in life now and, and trying it? It was a couple times, uh, and they just didn't.
1: Uh, it just didn't come together. Understood. Okay. Well, it is time for your first song, which is uh, the Johnny Horton song. So you said before we started that you want to play them first. Absolutely. You want to stick with that plan? Absolutely. Okay, this is Mike Braun's first song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. This is The Battle of New Orleans by Johnny Horton from the album Johnny Horton's Greatest Hits, released in 1959.
0: Well, that's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how that album got in my parents' collection because they weren't big country and western, you know, fans. Right. Uh, but I glommed onto that thing and I, I played the heck out of it. Uh, we had one of these. Huge, my my dad's pride and joy was this huge Magnavox console, a heavy wood piece of furniture, had a radio in it, an AM radio. I think there was an FM at that point too. It had a section where you put all the albums in and then the the actual turntable. Mm -hmm. And I would just sit there for hours playing this thing. I'd march around the living room to the music and it just for some reason just grabbed at me.
1: And you have no idea where it came from? No clue. No clue whatsoever. Did you ever ask your folks at all?
0: No. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Who
1: is Johnny Horton? I don't know who he is.
0: He's a country western singer. Uh, He was very popular back in the late 50s and 60s. I mean, he has a greatest hits album. Right. Uh, it, I don't know all that much about him other than I really liked this one particular song. And there were other songs on that album also. It was kind of a, it, you know, it was kind of a, I wouldn't say military or martial, but it had that kind of a feel to it. Right. So it, it just, it, you know, spoke to my seven or eight year old. Uh, stick gun toting little yeah, boy yeah
1: well and it's kind of you know, like there's that one part where he acts like he's going to say the word hell but then he yep. doesn't and that must have been a little bit daring oh to absolutely that, that's
0: you know kind of a snicker point you yeah know? <laughs> exactly
1: um, at that point in time did you have any idea what the heck the Gulf of Mexico was no clue <laughs> <laughs> or that I'd be living on it one day. <laughs> yeah, living on it uh, and and dealing with the things that living next to it brings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so did you continue listening to him later in life or anything or is that just like one of those weird little like time capsules? That's things?
0: one of those li- little time capsules, but that's solidified in my head that, you know, if I hear something even similar to that, it pops me right back to that t- to that time. Um Yeah, I think maybe after a year or two, it it just kind of petered away, and I was onto something different. It was right around the time my dad died too. So, and since that Magnavox was his, that kind of you know, kind of gave me a a closeness to him. He wasn't there anymore, Mm -hmm. and just by being able to play that record and sit next to the Magnavox, and it kind of brought me back with my dad. So that's that's what kind of makes me remember this song. It's that connection to my father. Mm -hmm. We
2: we often talk about – you and Tara did the hmm at the same time. That was great. Uh, We often talk about songs that we inherit from our parents that we otherwise probably wouldn't have listened to but now are just like part of us. Uh, Are there other songs that you really don't associate with like your taste but, you know, those are your parents' songs and they stuck with you?
0: Oh, absolutely. All all those waltzes and all those uh, composers from like the 1800s and stuff, Mozart and Beethoven and all that, you know, when I listen to them, I think of my parents. I, I think of growing up in that household it, with all that music playing and when we'd go to parties around the, the holidays, that kind of music was playing because that's the friends we had was, were from, you know, from Western Europe. So uh, it, that, that does leave an indelible mark as well.
1: Hmm. Was there a big community of people from Western Europe in, in where – In where Peoria? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm that, trying to that, think. Oh, yeah. It seems like Ohio would be one of the places.
0: Well, Peoria. Peoria was. They had There was a lot of vaudeville there back in, in the earlier parts and that's what attracted people there. A lot of, of Western European, a lot of, a lot of Jewish people. It was a big Jewish community there. Uh, so, and yeah, th- that we had a lot of that kind of stuff in our little cohesive group. Uh, any idea what happened to that record? I wish I did. No, I think, I think it was at my mom's house for the longest time. You know, my, my mom passed uh, in 2015, it, you know, two days before her 99th birthday. Hmm. So she kept a lot of that stuff, but I have no idea what happened to it afterwards.
1: Do you have records now in your life?
0: Up until about four or five years ago, I had a few records, but I don't even have a record player. Hmm. All my stuff is, is uh, digital. When was the last time you bought music that had physical form? <sighs> Probably a CD. Uh, I'd say six or seven years ago. Hmm. And, and you know now it's the
1: iPhone or you know digital. when was the last time you put a CD player into a slot in your car?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I even have a CD player in my jeep. <laughs> oh, it had to be same th- same thing about five to six years ago. Hmm. So uh, when you were
1: growing up, when you were in high school, like what was the scene like, uh, and where did you fit into it?
0: I was, I won't say I'm a loner, but uh, I, I didn't run with any, you know, I wasn't part of the jocks or the greasers or the socias or any of those subgroups. Um, I pretty much stuck to myself. I had friends, but I wasn't part of any group. I, I didn't run with a crowd. Uh, probably the biggest crowd I ran with, I, I, I worked stage crew for play productions at, at uh, oh. during high school. So that, that, those kind of people I did stick around with, but I wasn't part of any cohesive group. Hmm. Were you ever on stage? Once, but not as an as a as an actor. Uh, there was one. I think it was- you had to run out there and pick up something that fell. Well, kind of. <laughs> the, the stage manager, who was a teacher, um, there was a piece of furniture. I think it was Thor- uh, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Uh-huh. It was a piece of furniture that had to be taken off the stage, and he had me dress all in black. Uh, and at one you point, a ninja guy, he kind of like that, go on the stage <laughs> and take it off. And the play director, after the play was over. Didn't care for that one little bit, so it didn't happen again. Hmm. So that was my one little, you know, foray onto the stage. You play any sports or anything in high school? Uh, I tried to run track in junior high school because I thought I was fast, but. no. I, uh, that didn't last very long. <laughs> I wasn't as fast as the other ones who tried out. Well, yeah. I guess if you're not fast enough, then you just don't do it. Yeah. I did play neighborhood sports, though. OK. Like what? Uh, wiffle ball yeah. and football. But the wiffle ball got me a little bit of notoriety. Huh? Uh, we had a competition between our block. This was in Akron, Ohio. We had a competition between our block and the next block up for the wiffle ball championship of the world. And we won. This is a
1: plastic bat and a plastic ball. ball. And the
0: the ball with little holes in it. Yeah. And uh, one of my friends uh, called the Akron Beacon Journal and reported it. And it got in the paper. And uh, everybody hit hit, uh, like two or three uh, nice balls. But he said – but me, I hit four home runs. So my name got in the paper.
1: Wow. Was that the first time you were in the paper? Absolutely.
0: First time your name was in print? Yeah,
1: absolutely. At that point in time, was journalism anywhere in your field of view? Oh, God, no. That didn't come to my my last year of co- my last year and a half of college. Hmm. Um, we'll get to that. Um, uh, <laughs> high school dances. You got any high school dance
0: memories? Junior high school. My
1: Junior high my school. My first
0: dance. Uh, I, I can remember dancing the Inagata DeVita. <laughs> Well, that's quite yeah. an image, Mr. B. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only song I remember from that uh, from that uh, dance. And I can't remember what kind of a dance it was, but I remember my next how, door neighbor and I. How do
1: you dance to that?
2: I was going to ask how
0: you make it all the way to the end without collapsing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 20 minute song, it feels like.
0: Absolutely. I, we managed it. Uh, my next door neighbor and I had walked to the junior high school to go to the dance and then walked home again about a mile either way because we didn't drive him to junior high school. And I, I don't know, but uh, that was an enjoyable time. <laughs> mm.
1: It has amazing rhythms, so I see that. I yeah. can see that. Like I in
0: my head, I see it. Yeah. Mike's well, just staring at me. I was just trying to, I was just trying, to,
1: I was thinking you were slow dancing. I would just be it. shuffling
2: yeah, back and, it's and forth. A, it's kind of a, a s- 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 sultry sway. 80s goth dance? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was turn, also the turn. first
0: time I had heard that song. So, I mean, it was kind of new and, and intriguing. Hmm. Uh, do you remember the first
1: band that you saw or music live that wasn't like a church or something like oh, that? Oh, you're going
0: to laugh at this. The Osman Brothers. <laughs> really? <laughs> at the um, Peoria County Fair uh, at Peoria Expo- Exposition Gardens. Oh, all those smiles up there. <laughs> and Donnie was just a really wee little person. Mm-hmm. So it was his, his brothers and they brought him on later on just as kind of like a, a novelty. But that's the first band I can remember hearing. Uh, you know, out live.
1: Hmm. My first band experience was in uh, middle school. My parents, it was during when the monkeys had their, like when MTV brought the monkeys back <laughs> yeah. and the, suddenly they were everywhere. They came and played the Charlotte County Fair. Oh, And we nice. went and saw the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> the monkeys and the Osmonds. Um, journalism, you said it didn't come along until like the end of college. So what did you want to do when you were in high
0: school? I wanted to be a cop.
1: You want to be a cop. I wanted to go
0: into law enforcement. And for the first two and a half years in college, I was on the law enforcement administration track. I was planning on going to Los Angeles to be a cop. And, and all that was guided. I have got, a, I had an uncle who was a, a police inspector in Vienna, Austria. Uh, I had a great-grandfather who was in a, a cop in Russia. And growing up, you know, Adam 12, The New Centurions, uh, Highway, Highway Patrol, all those kind of shows spoke to me and kind of pushed me in that direction but then i took a oh an elective course in journalism and that's all she wrote that, hmm. that was it that that bit me hard and i switched over
1: um, do you remember what your first like like i don't know if story but the first thing in a journalism you know the first story you told i guess
0: the first thing i did in journalism i covered the last protest march in washington dc uh, it was 1974 i believe and I followed. Uh, there were two, Sorry, two or three professors. You're talking about the, for the Vietnam War. Yes, yeah. yes. There were two or three professors, and you were
1: so you were still in college. At I this was point. okay.
0: Yeah, I was still in college. Um, actually, I think it might have been earlier than that. I think it was '72 or '73. Uh, but there were two or three professors of mine who were going, and they asked if I wanted to come to take pictures, which is I which I did, and I, I'm glad I did. In, in that time, we were in DC. I got to hear uh, Jim Baez – up close and personal, we, we were sleeping overnight in Georgetown University and one second we were in, in this room talking. The next second, there was Joan Baez standing in front of me singing. So that, that was kind of interesting. And also during the, the kind of day and nights we were there, uh, I saw Daniel Ellsberg uh, race, running to get into a taxi cab. Hmm. So – there were a couple of nice little parts about going to do that kind of stuff, and you were there to take pictures. Take, take pictures. One of them got in in the college newspaper. Wow, was that black and white? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, what what kind of camera was that? And was that something you had been? You know, obviously you must have had some sort of experience if they asked you to do that, or did you just volunteer and say, "I'm going to do it"?
0: I can't remember how it came about. Um, I, I was. In, I, I'm not sure how that how that came about. It was just one of the professors I had asked if I'd like to do it, and I thought that'd be interesting to try and do. Uh, and I believe it was a Leica. It was my uh, stepfather's Leica that he let me borrow. Hmm. Were you a photographer at that point, or did, was that the beginning of
1: becoming a photographer?
0: It was kind of the beginning. I, I like to goof around with with like the little Kodak instamatics and that kind of stuff.
1: Hmm. All right, you ready for your second song? Absolutely. Okay, this is uh, what is it? It's Led Zeppelin's Cashmere. And we're going to listen to it first again?
0: Yeah, I think actually the full, the full title is On the Road to Cashmere. Oh,
1: really? I believe so. Oh, well, I'll trust you on that because <laughs> I just wrote down what you gave me. Um, okay, and so no story first. Right. Okay, this is uh, uh, Led Zeppelin's Cashmere from their 1975 album Physical Graffiti. It's song number two from Mike Braun on this week's episode of Three Song Stories.
0: This is more. This is one of the more surreal stories of mine. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was kind of a hippie-ish type person around that time. And I knew somewhat of Led Zeppelin, but I'd never heard this song before. And in the summer of 75, uh, I was working uh, in Peoria. I, w- I went back for the summer to stay with my sister who was still living there. I was working for a company called Captain Clean. It was an industrial and, and residential cleaning company. Uh, so we got done one day and a friend of mine, Rob, uh, and I and another co-worker, we went to uh, – we went out to get a couple beers, a place called Big Al's. To downtown Peoria. Is this like college years? Like where yeah. – Yeah. yeah. This, this, this is, is uh, the end of my uh, – close to the end of my college career. OK. And I, and I would go out there just to, to work for the summer. Gotcha. Um, so we went to Big Al's. You had know, to have a couple beers uh, and they – I guess you could say that it was kind of like a strip, strip bar but not – it wasn't known as a strip bar. But they had people okay. come in and do dance
3: <laughs> and do dances.
0: Sounds
2: there like were was, people no, sounds taking like their clothes as, off <laughs> but it wasn't a strip
0: bar. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but in this instance, um, this this young lady, long long kind of brown hair, got up on stage and she was dressed in European – or not European, sorry, Middle Eastern clothing. Uh, the long flowing skirt, I think they call them fishtail skirts, the the little jangly like coin-like uh, belt
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and all kinds of little veils and stuff. And all of a sudden this song comes on and she starts doing like a belly dance, mid-eastern dance. She didn't take any clothes off. And for the whole nine and a half, ten, almost 10 minutes of this song, she twirled and gyrated and just, I mean, and I was riveted. And now whenever I hear this song, I'll go right back to Big Al's in Peoria hmm. in my mind. And it, it, I can't think of anything else when I hear the song except that. Was that the first time you'd heard the song? First time I heard the song, wow. and it, it's, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Robert, Robert Plant didn't think that his song would be used for a kind of a striptease type thing, but it fit. I don't know, I don't know. It fit really <laughs> well. I mean, it's it's kind of mid, mid eastern Middle Eastern in yeah in yeah I flavor can, absolutely yeah. yeah. But I can see her every time I hear hear the song. I can see her doing the dance. Yeah, Page and Plant actually recorded a version
2: um, with uh, like an Egyptian Moroccan orchestra. Right, like I've a heard live that version yeah. of it, um, and they did that like they they played that version on their tour. It's it's like longer than the than the real song, which is hard to even imagine. Um, <laughs> which is originally titled, by the way, no no sources on this, but many instances of it uh, driving to Kashmir. That's it, it driving to Kashmir. Title. Yeah, yeah. The title exactly. is
1: reportedly driving Report- to Kashmir. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, do you remember how the 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 room was receiving this moment? Or were you so transfixed? I was
0: so focused on her. It's like a spotlight was on me, and there was nobody else around me. And then when she was done and, and went off, it was just, just kind of like in a fog. You know, we finished our beers and then and then left. We we had been there before, and there was true strip type things going on. Yeah. But for that one moment, what what she did, I thought was so incredibly you know, just creative and. I mean, that was, a you know, sex was the farthest thing from my mind watching her. Hmm. Watching her was just like watching an artist, you know. And it's, I don't know if she was or not, but she did such a great job combining her moves with the music that it was just, it, it was something I'll never forget, obviously. <laughs> were you wearing bell-bottom pants? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, we just got, we had just
0: come from from cleaning. Uh, I, I think it might have been, we were working in, in Galesburg, Illinois, in Galesburg, Illinois at the... I think it was a Westinghouse plant that made refrigerators and stuff. We had to go up into the industrial ducts and clean out, like suck out with these big huge vacuum hoses, all the dust and rust and that kind of stuff. So I was probably wearing these grimy old blue jeans, but they weren't bell bottoms.
1: Uh, You say you had some hippie tendencies. Did you have nice head of flowing hair, (laughs) fellow person
0: without hair? Mike, look at my hair now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I did have it past my shoulders at one point. So I did have long hair. I was a long hair. You were along. I was a long What did hair. your folks think of that? My parents were, were progressive. Cool? No, they were yeah. cool with that. They, the, I got the most pushback from my hair for, from high school. I was forced to cut my hair before I could graduate. Hmm. So that, that wouldn't happen today. But, was
1: that a common thing? I mean, oh, God, yeah. There was like a whole swath of, of dudes who had to cut their hair. 1973,
0: absolutely. Huh. I was not part of the establishment. <laughs> um, so, where did you go to college? To college? I went to high school and college in Youngstown, Ohio. But what was the college called? Youngstown State University. Youngstown the State University. The Penguins. The Gwens. How the hell do
1: you end up with penguins in Ohio? Ohio yeah. You want that story? Yeah. 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 Well, okay. I mean the Pittsburgh Penguins.
2: And Wins. my daughter's
0: name is Gwynn, so the Gwens. I love that. <laughs> one, one, according to history, according to our lore, uh, one day they were practicing in this old gymnasium and they were, it was cold. So they were walking around flapping their arms and somebody in the audience said, hey, they look like a bunch of penguins. Boom. The name stuck. Wow. I got something else you guys (laughs) – you guys probably don't know. (laughs) That was a good wow. That was a great wow. wow. (laughs) Youngstown State is where the penalty flag was created. Like, what do you mean? The NFL penalty uh, flag? Like, yeah. yeah. That was created at Youngstown, Ohio by football coach Dyke Beatty. Oh, I see. So it was first used there like the, They you know, used to use hmm. whistles. Oh. And Dyke Beattie's something. wife hmm. thought that wasn't great. So she sewed up a flag with a weight in the corner, gave it to him and said, give this to the referees. And that stuck. Hmm. <laughs> so you went there because you wanted to be a cop. Right. But then you were redirected.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me. So you went there because you wanted to be a cop Correct. and then you were redirected by a journalism class. Correct. Did you then immediately, you know, set to pursuit mode
0: to become a journalist? The very next year I became editor of the school paper. Okay. And then I, the day I graduated, the day after I graduated, I get my first job in newspapers and I I haven't stopped since. You know, 45 years in newspapers now I'm with WGCU, but uh, it's, you know, I can remember The first day I walked into a newspaper newsroom, like it was yesterday.
1: And that was at the Morning Journal in Lisbon, Lisbon, Ohio. Ohio.
0: Six-day daily. Were there just cigarette smokers everywhere?
1: That's what I picture <laughs> Actually, when I picture a newsroom in that era.
0: No. I mean we, we worked on Selectrics. We, we weren't with uh, on, on computers yet. But uh, What's a
1: Selectric? Is that like a modified a little, typewriter? It's
0: like a little IBM electric typewriter. It's got a little ball on it that you can change for the yeah, font. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what they use. And then they ran what we typed up through uh, what they call a uh, – Oh, a scanner, and that turned into print that put was put on paper. It was kind of an evolved process. What was your first job? Were you a reporter? I was a reporter. I covered, uh, whew, I covered Salem, Ohio, and Columbiana, Ohio. I covered the entire city. Whatever happened, so I covered it. So no
1: beat, just city was the beat. Correct. Hmm. Uh, any notable stories from that time in your career, like yeah. early on? One
0: ver- of the first couple days I went to the police department, they had something called The Hook which is where all the police reports were on. And so I walked in, I say, "Hey, can I see the hook?" And they gave it to me, and I then left and drove back to Lisbon, Ohio, and I got a phone call from the cops. that, "Kay, can you bring our hook back, please?" <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aware that I was supposed to leave it there. Did you have a? Uh, did you
1: try to focus some attention on covering police and police law enforcement issues because of that overlapping interest?
0: Um, not really. It, yeah. it, I mean, it was something that that was a little bit more familiar to me because I had taken courses and all this stuff. But that was just one part of covering the city, city council. Uh, if something happened or, you know, looking for features and that kind of thing. How long were you there? I was at the Morning Journal uh, almost th- three years basically. Uh, about a year and a half into it, the editor, of the to- editor at the time was killed in a car crash. Hmm. So they said, Bron, you, editor. So then I had to fill in. It was my first job right out of college. You're like 24 years old and you're the editor of the newspaper. Exactly.
1: That how, was a trip. How big was this newspaper? Was, I mean, how um, big was the staff, if you had to guess? We
0: had about maybe five, six people, okay. including sports. It was a small staff, a little county newspaper. Gotcha. It was in the county seat, though. But um, I, I can't t- – maybe six, 7,000 circulation. Gotcha. Which wasn't t- too bad for a small small town newspaper at the time.
1: So then your next job was at the Vindicator? The Youngstown Vindicator. That's a great name.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how did that pivot happen? Uh, I knew. Let's put it this way: one of my journalism professors at, at Youngstown State, Larry Quinn, was a reporter at the Vindicator. So, you know, a couple of years into my my uh, tenure at the Morning Journal, I went up to see Larry, and he says, hey, "Why don't you put your application in?" So, so I did, tried out, and got accepted
1: as a reporter. As a
0: reporter, yeah, starting off just as a. You know, general assignment reporter.
1: And then you were there for a long time,
0: right? 25 years.
1: And then at some point, though, your bio said that you sort of uh, nosed your way under the tent (laughs) to become an outdoors editor or something like that? I
0: I did almost every single job there is to do in a newspaper. But I I liked – Outdoors, I liked fishing, not so much hunting, but I liked fishing and and, and the outdoors pursuits. Conservation was a big goal of mine, the conservation of of animals and plants and the outdoors. And uh, my editor at the time, Paul Jagnow, was a big outdoors fan himself. And I went to him one day and said, look, Paul, I can fill a whole page of outdoor news every week if you let me. And at that point, they had one person, a photographer, who would write a column once in a while about the outdoors. So he let me try it. And that began a 20-year tenure. As also, whenever I had extra time as the outdoor editor, that wasn't my full-time job. That was whenever I had time. So but you I,
1: were still doing all the reporting that you had to do. I, and whatever you I was doing, that stuff in, e-
0: either reporting or on the copy desk, which I segued to, or as a designer or as chief of the design desk, as I finally got to be. I had the outdoor editor position, but only as a side sideline.
1: What was the process for doing design at that time in your career? And was it light boards and laying stuff out? I mean, like the, what were the mechanics of laying out a newspaper around then?
0: At that point, it it was – we got to pagination at that point, which is doing it on a computer screen. OK. So you could pop the little stories in and the headlines and put where, the, you know, you thought the picture should go and do it that way. And then you transmit it to a, to a composing room who would do the mock-up of that.
1: Hmm. And then – so there were computers, like early computers involved then.
0: Yeah. Well, we got that. That was, it, it came to be. So we got more. It was probably
1: like a, a bespoke system that just did that. It exactly. Wasn't probably, Processors. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um,
1: favorite story you covered for the Vindicator?
0: Oh, wow. I mean, I'd really only 25
1: years to choose from, yeah.
0: right? <laughs> I covered some. Well, probably the, the one I I kind of like the most is. is uh, one day I was standing next to the assistant city editor, uh, Dennis Mangan, and uh, this was in uh, – I was June of 85, I believe. Uh, and there had been a, a, a spate of tornadoes uh, in, west, in uh, eastern Ohio and western Pennsylvania. And I'm standing next to him when the phone rang and here was the Washington Post wanting a reporter or somebody to go and cover something for them. So Mangan gave me the phone and said, here, Braun. So I – Got the assignment from the Washington Post to go write a story about Wheatland, Pennsylvania, hmm. which had been hit by one of the tornadoes. So I got a bylined article in the Washington Post, which I've got clipped in my home. I was going to say that <laughs> that would be
1: one worth saving. Absolutely. So then you were there for 25 years and then the, the next pivot was to the news press? The news press, right. Um, my in-laws uh, moved to Florida. You followed – Older they, people down. They wanted, That's how we yep. all ended up here back they then. They wanted
0: somebody to come <laughs> with them. So they made us an offer, my now ex-wife and I, they made us an offer that we couldn't refuse. So we moved down here. It was in 2005.
1: Hmm. And uh, did you w- did you pursue the news press or was that just a serendipity thing? That's just where you were able to find work?
0: That's Yeah, pretty much. It, it was either going to be there, or the Naples Daily News, and they got me first.
1: And did you have to start over in the rungs or were you – like what was your first job at the news press? Uh,
0: the first job at the news press was as a designer – I did the A one, so I was kind of. I wouldn't say chief designer, but I'm. A one means the front of the the first, front page, first, first exactly. page right? exactly. First page and, and what they call the jump page or the inside front, and that that was my job is to do that. Plus, do a little copy editing and that kind of
1: thing. Um, you've been with newspapers, print papers for a really long time. Can you just reflect a little bit about how
0: much that world has changed? You know, not only oh, the technology man.
1: of it, but just the amount of resources that are being put into it and the implications of that.
0: Absolutely. When you consider that my first – I wouldn't call it a job, but my first contact with newspapers, the college paper, I was typing on a royal typewriter, which is a manual typewriter. And when I left the, the morning the, – the news press, it was a, a, a Macintosh, a, a computer, a, a laptop basically that – actually, I could have put the paper together on my iPhone. Yeah. So that is a definite sea change going from a manual typewriter with a ribbon to an iPhone. So, I mean that's, that pretty much sums up the big changes in newspapers is technology. The, the problem is with that technology, it also gave people a different way of get, getting the news so they didn't have to rely on newspapers very much anymore.
1: And there's a downside to that when it comes to the public's understanding of the world around them, right? Absolutely. <laughs>
0: well, of course because a newspaper you can, you can take, you can sit down, you can read it. You can kind of get into the, into the guts and, and the nuts and bolts of an issue that you can't get by listening to like a TV broadcast or something. So that, that yeah, we, we're losing something pretty important in in the the uh, newspapers. I wouldn't say going away, but in the the lesser amount of newspapers there are in the United States and around the world these days, you, you can't get that kind of. Um, deep introspection. Unless you're listening to NPR or or, or to uh, PBS, which we provide that kind of thing. A little plug for us there, but uh, yeah, that, that's it's not good. The newspapers are not at the level they used to be. Um, what has the uh, transition
1: to public radio been like for you? I'm having office next door, so I have some <laughs> some data
0: on this question. <laughs> um, it's it's been interesting <laughs> uh, having to learn. A different way of gathering the news and a different method, the, the audio part of it has been interesting. And I'm, I, I think I'm getting it. Uh, I haven't asked you for as much help as I did <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, Everybody has been ex- exceptionally kind and gracious and helpful to me. I, I, I mean I, I did not expect that. I, I did not expect to have that kind of camaraderie immediately. Uh, but I have, and I really appreciate that and, and enjoy that. Well, cheers to that. That makes me feel good. Um, biggest
1: similarities between public radio and newspapering and biggest differences besides the fact that one's print and one's talking? Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, kind of the way we cover the news. Um, my last iteration in, at the news press, I was a breaking news reporter. And I, I I try to to keep on top of everything that's going on, and not not just crime and courts and that kind of stuff, but th- there's other types of breaking news as well. So I try to, to every day, you know, put out three or four stories, or maybe sometimes five or six that would be breaking news type stuff. And it, 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 around here, it's easy to do because there's always stuff going on. Uh, compared to here, we're more introspective. we're, we're more trying to tell uh the story of what this area is about not not particularly breaking news although i've done a couple of those sure, already sure. Uh, but just kind of tell a, a more detailed story of southwest florida a little less of
1: the what when and a little bit more of the where why exactly. or something like that yeah Hmm. It's a good way to say it. I just made that up. I should write it <laughs> down. It's pretty good. Um, okay, well, you ready for your third song? Let's let's uh, let's cue it up. Okay, this is. Let me get to that. This this one's a
0: little bit more, you know, self inflicted wound
1: type story. Okay, you did you teased it. So this is um, Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks, uh, from her 1981 album Bella Donna. It's Mike Braun's
0: final song here on Three Song Stories. Well, it brings me right back to. I mean, it was. It's kind of really strange. It was enjoyable, but it it really, like I said in that little bio I wrote earlier, it, it was a self-inflicted pain that, on myself at that point. Um, I was a little bit older, not not that much older than the subject, the seventeen-year-old, the um, and i i, I wasn't uh, I wasn't really. You know, I, w- I wasn't a, a hound dog. You know, I wasn't somebody who was trying to to uh, get with everybody. I was kind of uh, it, not somebody who did that. I was I was more you know cerebral and inside myself. And uh, there was this a woman at the college at Youngstown State University in the crafts room. Uh, I, I'll just tell you her, her first name, not her last name. It was Karen. She wasn't a Karen. I mean that wasn't a thing at the time. She, she was did, definitely even, not a Karen. She didn't even
1: have a chance to be a Karen no. yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, she ran the craft room and, and I, I saw her. I was attracted to her. I, I was going into the craft room almost every other day. I made all kinds of belts and all kinds of stuff.
1: How much older than you was Ten she? years older than I am, yeah.
0: yeah. Did like like uh, Stevie said, I'm a few years older than you than she was. Uh, but she was married, so I, I didn't, uh, you know, I I looked at her from afar. Uh, we, we became friends kind of just because I was there almost every day. Uh, but she was also palling around with the group of people that I palled around with. It was called the programming board for the Student Center. I was part of that. I would create videos, uh, we would uh, put events on. Um, I actually managed the student bar in the Student Center. It was called Oblios, you know, for Harry Nielsen's song, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Point. And, um, I would uh, I would bring in musical acts and that kind of stuff. So, she was part of that crowd. And uh, there was a point where we all went uh, went to higher university uh, one weekend for a, a video uh, production contest type thing. And we, we came back. We all went to her apartment. There was like five of us, and um, she announced that she, her divorce was final that day. Mm. She had been married to, to somebody, uh, uh, let's just say, a college person. And her divorce was final. Had I didn't you ever even, been to her apartment before? Never been to her apartment okay. before. Um, I didn't leave till the next day. So if you get my drift. Oh, uh, boy. And uh, Brawny. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact was that there were four other people there in the morning, not with us, but in another part of the apartment. So it was kind of like a public display of affection. But. Uh, how did I,
1: that kind of like? How did that spark moment happen? You don't have to go into great detail, uh, but there had to be a well point the, at which you were like,
0: "Yeah, was, By the way, Karen, there was I some like making you. out and some kissing, and <laughs> and then we find ourselves in another part of the of the apartment, uh, the bedroom. Uh, uh, did she look like Stevie Nicks? No. Did she dress like Stevie no, Nicks? No. No. Okay. Well, actually, <laughs> you know, now that you mention it, uh, she did have kind of a bohemian vibe, which Stevie has. Uh huh. So, but she's not, she's not a Stevie, okay. not, not not anyway. Um, but I I kind of. You know, I started falling around like a lovesick puppy, uh, and we had kind of a you know around surrounded relationship for a couple months, uh, and then she kind of publicly dumped me for another person at a party we were all at, <laughs> and that's kind of where I heard the Stevie song, and I was really kind of out of it for a couple weeks. I was really broken from that. Um, I shouldn't have been, but I was. Uh, I got to the point where a friend had to take me aside and, and talk me down. You know, I was you know drinking a lot of beer. You know, for a college student, that was the the salve for the moment, and they had to kind of talk me down and out of it. Um,
1: was that your first like you know yeah.
0: first love? Yeah, pretty much. And that's what was that what was so hard about it? That, yeah. That uh, my first experience, my first love, my first, and that was yeah. kind of hard when it was broken off so so badly. And and to be truthful, it was my fault. It, it was my in I to that point. I in later years, probably about two years ago, I found out where she was at. And called her, and we kind of talked about it, and I apologized to her for hmm. acting the way I did. So what did you do? Well, no, just because <laughs> nothing to her, just because uh, how I ended, how I ended up. I
1: see how you responded. To, yeah, the, exactly.
0: to, the, to the ending up. yeah, it.
1: and that song. Then you like heard that song bef- like after the breakup, or like yeah, you know, I heard tie song, that all in there.
0: Well, I heard the song after the breakup, and it kind of it it really, I mean, it really fit, you know, the bill. The story of how you know Stevie was with this younger guy. If it was her, she's talking about it or not, but how she was with this younger guy, and it, it just kind of fit what happened to me and how I was feeling at the time.
1: Did you listen to the song like over and
0: over again? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I think I wore out a cassette tape or two at the time. <laughs> just, just, just feeling that angst. She's just singing that. about me exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that that also left you know led to a, a since then I I really like Stevie. You know, I like Buckingham Nicks before she was with the Fleetwood Mac, and afterwards, uh, I really like the songs that she does and how she sounds. She's got that kind of a vibe that I mm-hmm. that really speaks to me. Did you have to at some point then put that song aside, and then did you like avoid it for a while? No, never. No? I, it, it's kind of a it, it's kind of a familiar, a nice feeling little coat to put on every once in a while because I, you know, I I, I know what happened and I know w- how I got out of that. So putting it on. It's a memory, but it's not a bad memory. If you told Karen
1: that this song was that, do you think she would have any sense of that or what she would think? I doubt now? it. Yeah, I
0: doubt it. Yeah, uh, But it, it, I mean that was a point in my life that I, I I look fondly on despite the fact that I had my heart broken. There were good times. I mean there were a lot of interesting and, and very good feeling times up in that apartment uh, with this 10-year-older woman. And I know that you know, a lot of people are going to probably – You know, go, you know, negative on that. But to me, that was something that, that was a defining and an interesting and a push me forward time in my life to see what could happen in a relationship and how to get out of it and how, what to get out of it.
1: Hmm. I just, that, that guitar that you know the what do you call it? is that a lick a, rhythm? Riff, a, a, a riff a riff a riff, a riff. A riff. Yes. thank you richard yes <laughs> um i that just i you know because I, I mean it the song came out in 81 i was born in 72 so i was like 10 when that song came out but i that that just that it just takes me back to that era in my life i had no connection to it with a story like this but like when i hear that song like i go back oh yeah and it's just something about that that riff Richard. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right, though. It's like
2: uh, some some musical things are really um, – dated is the wrong word because it makes it sound bad. Like it's a bad connotation. But they, they live solidly in their era. Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> – I mean it sounds kind of like Eye of the Tiger.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it does. It's, it's got the same kind of beat. Yeah.
1: And I don't know if I'd ever really listened to the words that closely before than right now here. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was always just about the – the shape of the music, not the message within it, you know?
0: It's funny how often the, that you mentioned that, how often that happens. You listen to the music, not the words. And then when you listen to the words, it changes your whole
1: mm-hmm. perception of that song. When was the last time you listened to it closely like we just did?
0: Uh, probably last time it was on the radio that it that just came on. On you your know? on your vinyl whatever?
1: <laughs> on, on your Sirius? On my
0: Sirius XM, yeah. <laughs> because it's classic vinyl. You know, it, it's, oh no, it could t- totally show up there. Absolutely. I'm sure. absolutely, it does, and it does quite often.
1: Um, okay, it's about time for a speed round. But before we get there, um, peak concert experience in your life?
0: Oh, jeez.
1: Um, and have you seen many concerts?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen everything from John Denver to George Benson, who's on my wall in, mm-hmm. the, in my office. Uh, Herbie Hancock. Um, oh my goodness, uh, Seals and Crofts. Yeah. I, and and I think that's my defining moment because i, I was a student, um like a um, oh, not an MC, but the, the people guide you th- to your seats, you know, um, uh, an usher. like an, like an usher, but it was in in bigley Bigley Hall at Youngstown State University, which is the basketball court at Youngstown State. And that's where they set up for have the concert. And I was one of the those those kind of guys. and afterwards we were they were done, and everybody was filing out and they came back on stage and started talking to us. Like, we, you know, like we were the roadies or something. But we had a really nice conversation with them, you know, what the music meant and who they were and that kind of thing. Mm. And that was interesting to see somebody like that. What's was the most recent concert you've seen? Jeez, oh, you would say that. Um, Def Leppard. Def Leppard? It hurts uh, arena. And I actually, they were throwing these little Frisbees out in the into the crowd. And I actually got one of them. Oh, yeah? So I've got one of those at home. <laughs> Uh, did
1: they play Pour Some Sugar On Me? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they've ever not played that. I think they probably open and close with it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> with an interlude in the middle that's just
0: instrumental. Yeah. It, yeah. I think, yeah. See, it was Def Leppard, REO Speedwagon, and um, one other group. I can't remember who the other group well, was. All now. the all the bands that um, um who was last week? John Shane. All, <laughs> all the that, bands
1: those John the, Shane those doesn't like. Those were all the songs that John, the bands that John Shane will turn off. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. just totally made a list of them. <laughs> I want to watch them go to. A, I want to watch them. Yeah, I want to see
2: you
0: and John Shane do like a like a road trip where you go to a different concerts. <laughs> oh, he would like probably the one that I saw uh, out in, in Youngstown once. It was uh, Meatloaf and Supertramp. Wow. That was That's an, an, so, an yeah. outside That's concert. Amazing. Okay, ready for a
1: speed round? Uh, Whatever. (laughs) Okay, uh, I know your nickname, so I'm not going to ask you that one. Um, Karaoke, have you ever done karaoke?
0: Badly and
1: maybe once. (laughs) Would you do it again if pressed? No. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, If you had to sing a karaoke song impromptu, what song do you know you could nail? Oh, geez.
0: Oh... I have no idea. I seriously say, I have no idea. You just have to put the words in front of me and l- let me loose, and whatever you get, you get. <laughs> are
1: you sure you can't sing, or are you shy and so use that as a defense to not have to try to
0: find out? Probably that. I mean, I was in I was in junior high school. I was in choir, so but my voice has definitely changed since then, <laughs> yeah. and and it, it does crack often. So that's probably more of an embarrassment thing than it can't do it. I get that.
1: Um, If you were a championship wrestler, what would be your entry music?
0: (laughs) Uh, uh, Maybe something from Star Trek. Oh. You know, the the opening sequence from Star Trek? With like
1: the the one? Yeah. I love
3: that.
1: What would your wrestler name be? Uh, Kirk Kirk James.
0: (laughs) Jean Luc. Jean Luc. Jean Luc. best captain. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to name my son Jean Luc, but my my ex wife wouldn't let me at the time. Wow. <laughs> Another good
1: wow. That's a great um, wow. <laughs> so that's awesome. Cause, could you, his middle
0: name be Jean Luc? Well, his name is Joel. So I mean, I got close, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so big star, star Trek fan.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Star oh. Wars 2? Oh, yeah.
0: Sci-fi Anything sci-fi. Yeah, I actually once uh do you know who Isaac Asimov is? Yeah. I once interviewed him on public television. What? Oh wow, that's, that's cool. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> and what, I, and you I, talk I had about? a um uh, I had a a writing discourse with him. We wrote a couple letters back and forth too. Oh my gosh.
1: That would be like, what is the um Um Oh I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't I can't remember. The comedian the mm-hmm. the heavy guy who died that was on Saturday Night Live. Louis? No, he's the one who danced with Patrick Swayze. Chris Farley. Chris oh, Chris Farley. Yeah. and he does. He got to like talk oh, to like. Remember that time? Remember that time? Yeah, I'd be like with Isaiah. Isaiah Remember, one, that, really time you remember about that time you wrote about robots? Wrote <laughs> that about cool. robots man. <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you for helping me get there. Um, <laughs> If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind that was a distilled you, not just something you prefer, what would it be?
0: Oh, boy. Um, Probably a gin and tonic, although lately I've been really getting into Irish whiskey. But probably a gin and tonic distills me pretty good. Yeah? What about it? Uh, The spiciness of the gin along with the crispness of the tonic. Spice, right. You're spicy. And he just seen the look on his face when he said that.
1: It was like a commercial.
2: We could have made <laughs> well, a commercial out of it. What would you
0: name that drink, Mike Brown? Uh, the
2: brownie. Yeah, what else? I knew it. I, <laughs> even as I asked the question, I could feel it happening.
1: If you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most times in your life?
0: Oh, geez. <sighs> Probably Kashmir. <laughs> Probably that one. It's the one that's played the most in my presence. I don't. Not that I've played it, right. but that's played the most in my presence. Did you ever get to see Led Zeppelin live? No, unfortunately. Didn't. I'm TV, but right. not not live live.
1: Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time. Might be the same song. Because then you can be back in that strip club that wasn't a strip club. Probably
0: that one. Yeah, that I mean that song, even though it was the middle one of, of my three, it, it really has a strong – component inside of me. Album that you wish you can hear again for the first time? The Temptations? Wish It Would Rain. Hmm. Do you have a favorite song? Not anyone that stands head and shoulders, you know, other than Casimir. Not anyone that stands head and shoulders above everything else. Uh, Although I I would say the Blue Daniel Waltz Mm -hmm. uh, is, is something that really... Because I heard it live in Vienna, next standing next to the Danube River, kind of is my one. It, it stands out because it's different than everything else. Was that song in two thousand one a Space Odyssey? I know there's a there's a waltz in there. I think that is the one that's in. There's a couple.
1: Yeah, I think it is. Richard's looking it up, but in the meantime. Are there any songs you'll avoid listening to? Wait, you, the, the Blue Danube? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh. That's Yay. what I thought. Oh, <laughs> <talking>. Go memory. <laughs> yeah. Songs you'll avoid listening to? Uh,
0: I like all sorts of music. Um, I mean there's some hardcore rap that I don't care for and there's some hardcore country that I don't care for. But, you know, it, it, it would be really – it would have to be something really obnoxious for me not to want to listen to it.
1: Any songs that you'll avoid listening to because of memory association –
0: Mm-mm. No, nothing like it at all.
1: Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of everyone on the planet simultaneously <laughs> and make a collective moment for everyone, which song would it be?
0: <laughs> maybe the uh, the Coke commercial. I'd like to teach the world to sing. No,
1: that's a great answer. We haven't had that answer yet. Um, did you watch Mad Men? Oh yes. No. Oh, I love that show. What a great ending! Yeah, absolutely. Like they did it. Like yes. how, how do you end a show like that? Like that. You know. <laughs> So, spoiler alert! If anybody's you know listening that hasn't watched it yet, um, best album of all time. Wow, Um,
0: Machine Head. Strong (laughs) answer. Yeah, I I listened to that in Vienna, Austria, all summer long. My parents sent me to Austria for the summer in uh, 1973, and my one of my relatives had that album, so I listened to it all summer long.
1: So it always reminds you of then and there. Yeah,
0: yeah, that could have been one of my three songs as well. But it's, yeah, but that's a good, that's a great album. Um, Are there
1: any bands or musicians that have come into your scope fairly recently, or are you just like oldies vinyls through whatever? Yeah,
0: new music doesn't attract me as much as the music I was listening to, you know, when I was in my you know youth. that's why i've got classic vinyl dialed in on my because, because it it still speaks to me. It it speaks to me more than modern music does. There's just it's like it has more life to it. And i'm probably going to get people complaining about saying that, but i you know it you have to go with what speaks to you and if something doesn't speak to you, why would you promote it? You know, that's when you're listening to, you know, Tom Petty or or whomever comes on classic vinyl, there's meaning behind that stuff. Uh, To me, a lot of the music coming out today doesn't have that same kind of meaning. At least to me, it doesn't.
3: Hmm.
1: You have some kids, right?
0: I've got six children.
1: (laughs) The youngest of which is a high school student.
0: Yes, she's a junior.
1: Has she brought any music to you?
0: She'll mention something once in a while. But
1: it doesn't break through that that classic vinyl armor? No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, Does she make you put on her music when she's in the car with you?
0: No, my rule is the driver guides the the radio. Is she driving yet? Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) And not for the foreseeable future.
1: Um, Okay, Mike, you've done it. It's time for you. Or No, I want you to tell us what your 14-year-old self would think of who you are today. I skipped ahead of the final answer.
0: Uh probably what a nerd. <laughs> yeah? yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> what would he
1: think about like the whole journalism thing, or would he be bummed you weren't a cop? I'm not sure about that.
0: Uh I mean there was a time in my life I wanted to be a space policeman, whatever the hell that was. So, They're coming. Yeah. <laughs> but this is back in the sixties. Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure what he would think about that. I mean, there's no newspaper people or journalists in my family. There's some artists. There's some musicians. Uh, I'm not sure what he would have thought. I I don't think that was even on my radar at that point.
1: But he would think you were a big, fat nerd.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Okay, It's time for you to recommend your three people. Uh, Well, um, there's an editor at the News Press, Stacey Henson, who was my editor for the last couple of years, who's been an exceptional – uh, editor, boss, friend, su- you know, supervisor. Uh, I-, I think her experiences would translate really well into three song stories. Okay. Uh, there's a-, a-, a gentleman who actually is central in my being in Southwest Florida at the News Press, uh, Charles Apple. He's a newspaper designer type person who has helped a lot of journalists find jobs, and he's he's. He's like the epitome of the newspaper designer. He does a lot of special pages of special topics. He would have a lot to say, believe me. Okay. And then one of the people I consider a, a top—they uh, have something down in Southwest Florida called a, a PIO or Public Information Officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not used to that up from coming from Ohio. We didn't have those up there. Uh, Greg Bueno from the uh, Florida Highway, Highway Patrol. Yeah, he would be. A really I know good the name kid. well, and yep. I've talked to him briefly
1: over yep. the years. Uh, and he, he would be uh, – I think he'd be a great subject. I would love to meet him in person. So do your part to make that happen. Absolutely. Any final thoughts for us, Mr. Braun? Um,
0: this has been really a lot of fun. Uh, I'd like to do it again. <laughs> There's
1: a, one of our rules is you only get, you get to do it One chance, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing it. And now we can go back to the, our real jobs. Absolutely. Thanks again. <laughs> We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and host. Our production assistant is Jared the intern, Gonzalez, is executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. This week's parting tune we're jumping back 1 year to episode number 191 guest Jack Massing. Jack formed The Art Guys in 1983 with Michael Galbreath. Their direct to the public methodology circumvented the established art world. He described his second song story as awkward and fun, which he said also describes his life in general. He had just finished college in 1984 and was taking a trip to Europe and his good friend Pam gave him a Sony Walkman. This was the early days of portable music. It had a cassette tape in it. When and she gave it to him, the 1982 album by Roxy Music, which featured the hit More Than This.
3: I loved the machine itself. It was so small and so well designed. It was almost the size of a cassette tape. It was just a little bit bigger. I thought, man, this Walkman is great. I'm going to get all kinds of music as I travel and do all this stuff. But either, and I'm confused whether I was either really lazy or acting like a Zen monk but um, I never bought any more music. And I listened to that thing for nine months. Not every day, but I listened to it a lot. I took a bus from Paris to Athens, and I listened to it most of the way because I didn't know anyone and I didn't speak a lot of those languages. So, And that song brings back so many memories of Greece or of Berlin or of Italy or London or all these different places, and that's kind of that, you know, mental trigger that, that gets tripped when you hear music and you remember a place.
1: Keep listening.
2: Next time on Three Song Stories.
1: Musical explosivity, vernacularly expressed in one word, is pretty poignant.